Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a f***ing shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their f***ing houses for f***ing years. So Connor, we're going to find out, I think it's later today, um, there's meetings going on today about what our calendar is going to look like for the rest of the year. Um, it could be later today or, or tomorrow, like I said. But like I mean, some of it has been leaked. A lot of the different GA journalists have the have pretty much the same kind of information on this. That it looks like we're going to have a football championship, um, exact same as last year. Provincials, straight knockout, no backdoor, and that's it. And then we'll have a hurling championship with with a backdoor chance allowed, a knockout, you know, championship, and then a backdoor. Um, it looks like hurling counties are going to get five league games, um, and football are going to get three group games and probably a final. So it'll be five versus four, you know, for the for the teams that get in into the final. Um, and that's that's pretty much it. It looks like the hurling might start a week before the football, which I thought was a strange one because. Um, it looks like the, the hurlers would only have three week lead in time if that was the case, Connor. Again, we're speculating based off the kind of leaked information, but that looks like yeah. what it is. Yeah, I, I would have thought then, Willie, that, that them starting a week earlier is because they're getting an extra game in the league. Would that be right? But um, but you're, you're right about the three week lead in there. I've seen the date, the return to the return to training is meant to be the 19th of April. And then they're on about uh, training on the 9th of May. So that seems like a very kind of short lead in, especially with a few managers saying how difficult it is going to be to prepare you know um for for a national league campaign based on three weeks training or three weeks training that we know about in the, in the case of certain counties anyway but uh from what uh from what we have to from what they have to work with it seems like a sensible schedule i mean eh, running it from may to the end of august to, to, to the middle of the end of august to allow for enough time to, for there to be uh 
a good club calendar there as well from September yeah. December, which is something we're used to as well. So listen, just it'll be it'll all become clearer when we get confirmation. But I can't see it being much different from what's been leaked so far. No, exactly. And like you said, September to December for club, we're well used to that. You know, clubs have to run off their competitions. The problem is there's 11 counties who still have their 2020 um, county finals, some of them for Leash, for example, are still at the semi-final stage. So that'll knock that back and they could be starting in October. So I, I can't see us having all Ireland semi-final club and all Ireland final club in this calendar year. Probably next January um, we'll see that. And hopefully by then, uh, Connor will get, we'll, we'll be back um, to some sort of normality. Because I had seen midweek league games uh, being spoken about. John Fogarty had been talking about this and he said that there was some support for managers. I couldn't see how this would be even possible. Like, I mean, to go from five months with no matches to have a month lead in time, like, I mean, you're not going to start straight into those matches in that month lead up time. You know, you might play maybe three matches across that month and then go into three matches a week, a Sunday, a Wednesday, a Sunday. Like, I mean, it would have been outrageous as far as I'd be concerned for, from a player um, point of view to even be thinking of doing something like that. I saw, Bro I saw Brian Dewar He's obviously in with uh, Fergal Lohan, with, with Tyrone. He's talking about um, the league is going to start in no time at all. And it's very hard to bring boys back after not having a match in five months and having that competitive training. That's one thing I would have concerns about. If you get an injury in those four weeks, you're probably gone for the league. It could go well and equally it could go badly. We could get a couple of bad injuries with boys coming back too quickly, loading up too quick. And that's the big fear I have. And that was the fear I had when I heard about these midweek games. But look, it looks like they're a non-runner. Fellas like Brian Dewar, uh, Fergal Lohan over Tyrone going to try and completely change their style of play. You'd imagine, uh, you, maybe not completely, but make a good change to it. You know, they're at a serious disadvantage here. And if you're loading up on midweek games, you know, they, they, they will be even at a more of a disadvantage. Yeah, to be honest with you, the first thing I thought when I saw it was I, I kind of liked the idea of it from a spectator point of view, you know, and that like it would break up your week a bit nicely to have a, a to have a game to look at on a on a Wednesday night. But that's been really yeah. selfish because, you know, this, this, the circumstances is the way they are. You're talking about players who haven't had any sort of a preseason for now. They're going to have a four week lead in, maybe three to four week lead in. And no matter what they're doing on their own, they it can't prepare for the type of movements, you know, that no. that will need to be replicated in the game. So it's it's bad. It's like playing Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, it, you know, is probably not great from like at any time of year, no matter how fit you are. But when you're coming back into it after Jesus, what, six, maybe six months of not being able to do that sort of training, you're asking for trouble in terms of soft tissue injuries, hamstring injuries, etc. So I would amaze, I know it got a little bit of support in a straw poll with uh, some inter-county managers, but I would amaze if, if it ends up going ahead. Yeah, no, I don't think that I don't think that's going to be a runner. And anyways, like, I mean, you're right. Imagine the fellas that go back training now for the first time after the 19th. I'm sure for the first week, they'll assess their fitness levels. They'll probably want they might do a match the, the 26th on the Sunday. Imagine how sore these fellas are going to be on that Monday. That's a training match. Then go into a National League match. Imagine how sore you'd be because the, the soreness after a training match is no, is no comparison to a league match. And then go into a championship match and the soreness from a championship match is way, way worse than the soreness from a from a league match. Like your legs are, it's like you've been through a war, you know, like, I mean, so there's yeah. different different levels of this. Four weeks is just about enough as far as I would be concerned. Um, Kieran Kingston, the Cork Hurling manager, was talking about extending the National League. I don't know really, maybe he, he meant to the five games, um, 
you know, something like that, because it wouldn't have made too much sense. He said, from our perspective, of course, you'd love an extended National League campaign to give lads a bit of time. There's a big gap between under 20 and senior in every sense of the word. Even if fellas are physically ready and hurling ready, there's a mental side to stepping up. Maybe that's just what he's wishing for. Maybe I'm I'm being a little bit harsh yeah, up here in Kingston so. here. Uh, yeah, I think so, because I think maybe selfishly he's thinking about the players that he needs to bring through for Cork. Yeah. And that ideally he'd have more of a lead in time to be able to blood them, which which makes perfect sense. But it like it doesn't unfortunately it just doesn't fit into the calendar. Like I'd have more sympathy, as you said there, for Brian Dewar and uh, you know, who's trying to Fergal Logan, who are trying to implement what what'll likely be what I would probably hope to 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 see, and I'm probably sure Tyrone Tyrone fans would hope to see is a change in style. And they're having to do that with no preseason competitions, with three league games that are against teams that they could face in the Ulster Championship. They still haven't even got that draw yet. Yeah. And then going into a, a knockout Ulster Championship, which which would would mean leave me thinking that they might not fully commit to this change of style immediately because you know, for fear that it would take too long to implement and that they might be losing games that they have to win in the league and in the championship. So, yeah, you can you can you can empathize with them. But like they just it's just the circumstances of the calendar. It's just not going to allow for that time this year. Yeah, I think it's our mad Donegal and Monaghan. They have three yeah. dogfights, three dogfights <laughs> yeah. in the league. And you're trying to implement um, some sort of change of style. I Listen, I have I have a lot of sympathy for Tyrone's new management team this year. We'll try to talk to Fergal Owen um, during the course of the league. He promised he'd talk to me when to start back up like a lot of um, other managers. Big drama this morning. Connor, of course, Monaghan have been caught training. Uh, apparently this has happened in March. Um, and the fallout from this is that Banty has been suspended by the Monaghan uh, County Board for three months. This was probably an obvious punishment and they're probably dealing with this in the right way, the same as Dublin. Come out early, suspend your manager because let's be honest, the book stops with the manager. This is the person who's organising. Now, the, the, the players can push for the training and that's natural. Jesus, Banty, we'd love to get back. Jesus, Desi, you know, geez, you know, can we go back doing a little bit? You know, we'll go into small groups. You can imagine players pleading with the manager to do something. Um, at the end of the day, a manager either says yes or he says no. So it comes it does come down to the to the to the manager, and it's the manager's heads that have all been rolling um as far as uh, this is concerned. But this is getting silly though, Connor, in my opinion. Like, I mean, Department of Justice confirmed to RTE they've passed on a dossier to the guards. Like a, like I mean, there's there's video, photograph, and and uh all sorts of evidence. Like, who is this person? And they, they sent this in anonymously. Jesus, like, I don't know. Then a, the guards are involved. A guy on Garda Siakana is making inquiries into alleged breaches of COVID regulations at a sports ground in the north of the country. Like, have we all lost our minds, Connor? Or am I gone way too far on one side to not be able to to to, to not see this objectively? But no, no, I, I don't think like, listen, there's there's no room for hysteria. The way I look at it, Willie, is that there's no room for hysteria here, right? They, you know, we're, we're talking in a week where where there's, you know, the science has come out and said, you know, about outdoor transmission that it's responsible for one in every thousand cases. But I don't I don't think that like the way I look at it is that I don't in and of itself, I don't necessarily have a huge problem with groups training. But the, the problem I have is that they broke the rules. Do you know yeah. what I mean? That's. Uh, the rules are there, like, and, and if everyone decides to break the rules, any rules they want, then there's going to be anarchy. So, yeah, but, like, but, here, but but here's the thing, Connor: they've broke the rules, they've been caught, and now their manager is gone for three months, and that's a fair old punishment now. Like, I mean, that's nearly the entire provincial championship and league 
these lads are going to be gone. It's a pretty big punishment. But like, is this any difference? Like you made a good point about like what 0.1% of cases happen outside one in a thousand. So like from a public health perspective, this is very, very, very low, low, low risk. It's practically mm. at zero. Right. So is this any different to breaking the winter training camp bans when, when you when you go abroad? Is it any different to, tra- to to breaking the winter training ban? Why is there such hysteria around this that you break a COVID guideline, even though the risk is practically zero? It almost seems people are out like looking for some sort of scapegoats or something. You know, do you, do you, do you know what I mean? It's, it's the, the reaction to this is just way over the top to Dublin. Dublin made front page news in a national paper for for training in a group of nine, a pod of nine. Like if anything, they were very responsible. Yes, they broke a GA law a rule and Desi's gone for three months. Would that not just be like, that, for me, that would be half the back page. Well, like I, I'm just going on the level of interest in the story last week, Willie, right? In terms of like, uh, I'm not saying that it's um, it's the worst crime that was ever committed, but like, can you, can you honestly say that you didn't talk about it, that it wasn't a huge topic of conversation last week because we're talking about the most high profile team in the GA in Irish sports. For the last how many years and they're guilty of breaking a training ban that was they're guilty of breaking a rule that was the only the day before the, G, the government gave guidance that inter-county teams were allowed to return to training three weeks later and then the next day the very next morning the most high profile you know team in the country including some of the most higher profile players in the country yeah. are guilty but, of just flouting that rule so like yeah i, I like again Wooly, you have to you have to like there's no need for hysteria, as I said, but like you know, I I I I do think it merited some attention because I think pro- yeah, no, I think it's a story, but I think it's yeah. a back page sports story rather than the front page and 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 the first three or four pages of a national newspaper. Like I mean, when when you yeah. you look at it, they bro- didn't didn't Dublin break the 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 foreign training camp ban as well? And Jim Gavin said they went on a historical tour, no training being done. Everyone thought that was a bit of a joke, but there wasn't the same hysteria. Would that be put in the front page? My point is, there's an obsession about anti-COVID. And a lot of people are being hypocrites. The people being outraged about this. Can anyone who hasn't broke a COVID guideline put their hand up and cast the first stone? Because if we all look at ourselves in a mirror, I would say very, very few have followed them exactly to the letter of the law. 100%. The only thing I'll say, Willie, that that's different from the tra- the winter training ban and the rules on tr- you know foreign training camps, whatever, is that they apply to the GAA only. This rule about outdoor gatherings and sports training applies to the entire country and it applies to it applies to every sport and it applies to outdoor gatherings in general. And like while you're right, while you're right that everybody, I'd say if everybody looks in the mirror, you know, there's a lot of people out there who can not cannot honestly say that they have abided by every restriction. But the point is, the, the point in this case is that the rules were there and and you know and and Dublin broke them and yeah. you know and Mon- and Monaghan. Do you know what I mean? So I like I think I think the punishment. You know, the punishment in and of itself, again, 12 weeks, that, that's actually quite, you know, that's actually quite severe, maybe. And I would commend Dublin Amana for coming out in front of it because it spares the GA that headache as well. They don't necessarily have to con- conduct a big end of investigation to ultimately end up as the same punishment, which is probably what they'd implement anyway. Dublin Amana have saved them, you know, have, have, have saved them the bother of doing that. I would potentially question how impactful this 12-week ban is going to be on, you know, Seamus McEnany and Desi Farrell. Yeah, well, I suppose when their own county boards are governing it, we'll be yes. talking to talking to Billy Morgan soon about that. Um, the Cork County Board certainly did follow the ban they gave him back in 1990, but we'll get to that in a minute. They, like the thing I don't I don't really like is when it came out during the week that it's point one of a percent of cases happening outside, one in a thousand. 
right? And then the answer from Neffet later on that evening was, yeah, but you have to get there in a car yeah. and you have to congregate. But the GA had strict protocols surrounding that last year. Like they trained in small pods, the dressing rooms were closed, only one household per, per car, and it ran perfectly smoothly. The, the only thing that didn't run smoothly with the GEA last year was the county finals. And hold your hands up and say some of the you know scenes after that, while understandable to a certain extent, was a terrible look for the GEA. Now, why are the GEA, why, did it, why are they just going along with everything Nefet tell them instead of lobbying Nefet and saying, look, one in a thousand um, cases outside. We have protocols in place. One household per car. The dressing rooms won't be open. All be open in the dressing room is a toilet. And a lot of the fellas wouldn't even need to go in there. Um, anyways, they'll go over to the ditch. They'll be training in small pods spread out all over the field. Why are they not lobbying the government to say, open up the pitches for young people to train, at least even the underage. Do you know, I, I just don't know why they're just rolling over and they're almost thankful that we can get back on the 19th of, on the 19th of April. Well, uh, look, Wally, I'm sure they are. But like, again, this, this doesn't just apply to the GA. This would, like every sport, like, and I, I'm not doubting any sports capacity to have all those protocols, those necessary protocols in place. But it's just like the GA can't just lobby for themselves to be given that treatment. And like well, they, they, I think they should all be lobbying them. Why are they accepting this when the outside transmission numbers are practically zero? Well, I can't say that they're not if I don't know that they're not, Willie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that, like I, I publicly I, they're not, anyways. Of course, yeah. Well, I'd agree with you on the back of that, on the back of that information. Do you know what I mean? If that's if if that's what the science says, do you know what I mean? Well, then, and like they, you know, we the, the, we've been locked up for so long that surely we should be encouraged to do stuff that's safe. Do you know what I mean? But I can't yeah. speak for people to say whether they're lobbying or not if I don't know. Like I, I would, I would agree that they should, and hopefully. Hopefully, Willie, when we're having this conversation in six weeks' time, that we're all back doing this stuff anyway. But we just have to kind of respond to what we know now, I suppose. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Mick Galvin's going to be the Dublin manager, I think, interim manager. Um, obviously, Desi was given the three-month ban. Um, I saw, I think, it's an interesting one, actually. Dublin County Board are only starting Farrell's ban when they resume on April the 19th, which is, you know, it's not like they said, right, we'll, 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 we'll do it from today and you'll have served three weeks before we go back. They've actually um, done it. I was reading in The Independent from the April the 19th. The Independent actually had it as well, saying that he's banned from the dress room. He's banned from the touchline on match days. But I think it was Frank Roach says, however, he will be permitted to attend games as a spectator until his suspension expires. Now, I find that incredible. Number one, spectators aren't allowed at games, so he wouldn't be allowed. And number two, he could be radioing down to his selectors or anything like that. But I asked I, I asked about that and it depends on what rule he's suspended for. If it is the rule discrediting the association, then he will not be allowed uh, attend as a spectator. I wouldn't think he'd be allowed attend um, one way or another because that wouldn't be much of a punishment at all. Eamon Fitzmaurice actually on a on the Examiner uh, podcast, he said that um, the thing that would hurt the likes of Monaghan and Dublin more um, if they're trying to get a step on everyone else is that you is the way to stop you is you're not allowed back training when everyone else is to so say, look, right. Well, now everyone else is back on April the 19th. You're not back until May the 1st. You want to get one week lead in. Now, I don't think from a player welfare uh, perspective, that would be a very good idea. You know, like, I mean, I, I, I don't see it. That would be a huge deterrent. Um, don't yeah. get me Don't get me wrong, but I'm not sure how that would actually be fair on 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 the on the players preparing the way they do scientifically to get into competitive games. Yeah, I found I found this a really interesting one. And as you say, as a deterrent in terms of punishment that you would fear that you that would make you think about, you know, breaking rules, that, that that's certainly one that would do it. But again, it comes back to like the impact of this suspension that I was speaking about. 
I, I like I'd I'd worry about the ability to police that. But I suppose then, as as you said, if this is if this is up in the county board to to police this, well then surely they can't. It'd be up to them to make sure that they don't sanction a training session a training session that applies for as long as this ban would be in effect. But um, yeah, it's it, it's it's um, it's certainly an interesting way. But even 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 with that, there's probably probably ways and means around it. But um, again, like I, I would imagine that there has to be some sort of precedent for this for 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 the GA to be able to implement it. And I think at this stage that it's just going to be whatever the whatever is incorporated in the 12 week ban the 12 week ban is a good ban it's a it's a very very strict ban and it's it's a it's a ban that's definitely going to have an impact on the team one other thing Fitzmaurice said which I didn't agree with was that if you're trying to get a step on everyone else now I have a different take especially on the Dublin because we don't know if the, like there's reports that Monaghan trained the whole panel like yeah. and for me that is getting a step and we're doing contact training that would definitely be a step up I don't think what Dublin did were doing in a pot of nine in a non-contact session, kicking a few balls. Are they trying to get ahead with that? My my thoughts on this is that that they're on the WhatsApp group. I think that the Dublin players have probably have Desi's ear um, a lot more than they would have had Jim Gavin, and Desi might have more of a, a friendship relationship with the players in comparison to Jim Gavin, who's totally cold, and that was the way he did it. I think they did it just to get back together. And, you know, imagine these are top level elite athletes who would spend very little time in their houses. Like, I mean, imagine their schedules. They're coming home from work. They're going training. They're 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 in team meetings. They're coming back that night. They're going to sleep, going to work. After work the next day, recovery session, weight session in the gym. Only back maybe, you know, eight o'clock, watch a bit of telly, bed, back again. You know, the routine that they have. And they go from that to spending three, four, five months Stuck maybe what sir? They were around until de- December with the the last year, so it would have yeah. been two two months into the new year in their houses. I'd say the players on the WhatsApp message, Jesus, Desi, let us go into small groups and let us do something like let's meet up with each other. Like for me, I don't think, especially the Dublin in the small pods, I don't think they're doing it for to gain an advantage on anybody else. I think they were doing it just for their own mental health. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I, I can certainly sympathise with that point of view. As you said, Dublin played the weekend before Christmas, so you're 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 coming on f- up on four months since they would have you know met together for training sessions or something like that. And it's, not, and it's not as if they're doing anything with their clubs in the meantime. So that's Dublin. Then you can sympathise with other counties who would have like you're coming up on maybe six months. So you can you can you can appreciate that sentiment of, of the need to get back together and get back into some sort of routine. But. Um, the only question I'd ask then, if they're not doing it to get a step ahead, then why do it, I suppose? And the other thing is, I'm still amazed if it was a case of leaning on Desi Farrell in a WhatsApp group. I'm still amazed that he sanctioned it, Willie, to be honest, because yeah. I just even I know it's easy to say in hindsight, but after last week, I'm, you know, I'm amazed that they thought that they might get away with it. And they, th- they thought that it might not come out, given the profile of these lads, they, you know, that they're out in the open, maybe Inish Fales isn't out in the open, but they had to use a, a, a club ground to do it, for example. But I'm still amazed that um, that he sanctioned it, even if I can empathise with the sentiment that you said there, I suppose. Um, that was only, that was the north side pod. I'm sure there was a south side, yeah, east yeah. and west pod as well. <laughs> yeah. So they, they nicely got her. Here, what is, what is it with the Mayo contingent putting the boot into Dublin on this? Alan Dillon, David Brady, you're not too sympathetic towards them, where you, where you seem to be very sympathetic towards Monaghan. Is this some sort of revenge mission for Mayo? 
you mentioned the WhatsApp group there, Willie. We 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 updated regularly, you know, um, every 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 couple of days to see how we can have a how we can have a dig at Dublin. In fairness, Alan Dillon, I would say that he's uh what he's Finnegal's spokesperson for sport, isn't he? So, you know, not that he was going to re- resist the opportunity to have a dig at um, to have a dig at Dublin, but I suppose if Finnegal were going to put anybody forward, it was going to be him. And I didn't actually hear David Brady, so I'll have to listen back to that. But uh, I can assure you, it's not part of any Mayo Mafia a concerted effort to get a Dublin Willie anyway. Well, I I can confirm I didn't listen to David Brady as well, but I'm, I'm making an educated guess on what what he did what he did say. I saw him that he was on off the ball. Of all people to get the take off when this just kicks off is let's get David Brady on and get probably the worst take in the country, and then let's get in first with the worst take uh, that's possibly going right. So we know all our all our winning manager Desi Farrell was banned for by tr- or banned for three months by his own county board. It sounds unusual, but it did happen before. In 1990, All-Ireland winning manager Billy Morgan was banned by the Cork County Board for two months, missing an All-Ireland semi-final. And Billy joins us on the line now. Good to have you back on the show, Billy. How's it going? Not too bad, Colin. Not too bad. How are you managing life at the moment? Um, well, you're locked down. I'm recovering from COVID, so um, um, it's just a walk in the morning when there's nobody around and... Uh, Taking it easy then for the rest of the day. Right, a bit like myself. So, Billy, did you get the vaccine yet, or how are you? How are you managing? I I got the first one two weeks ago, and I'm due the next one in two weeks' time. Ah, know? very good, very good. That'll be a weight off your mind. Um, mind yeah, yeah. When you get that, come here. So, what happened in 1990? Then this is a this is a, a this must have been a big scandal at the time. How did you get suspended for starters? Um, I was. Coaching Nemo as well at the time, and we played UCC of all teams in the, the championship. Um, we were playing down in Parky Creeve, and that's uh, in the first half or late in the first half. Um, I was thinking, I went out to speak um, to one of our wing forward, and as I was speaking, the, the half back who was marking him started pushing in between the two of us. So I was pulling our wing forward in, and, and eventually, actually, wound up nearly in the in the dugout. But <laughs> our man kept pushing in, and uh, I turned to him at one stage and I said, "Would you ever f off?" So he said to me, "Shut up, you ya b." <laughs> um, so with that, he was kind of half behind me. I get to an elbow on him and hit him in the chest. Uh, but of course, he put his his uh, hands to his face uh, as if he had been polaxed. Right. And um, the UCC dug out, and there was one particular individual made a run at me, and he had an umbrella and was threatening me and calling me names, and he was going to do all kinds of things to me. So that's then, yes. So when the match was over, uh, we won well. Um, we were going down the tunnel when our man came after me again with his umbrella, again <laughs> threatening all kinds of things. But two Nemo supporters arrived on the scene around the same time and um, one of them struck him and uh, dicked him. Um, there was a bit of pushing and shoving and stuff like that then, but I didn't strike him. Um, so that was it. So then... There was an inquiry at the county board and um, I was 
suspended, uh, given a two-month suspension. Now, it was actually, that happened before the Munster final, but by the time the inquiry was finished or whatever, it was after the month, so I was okay for the Munster final uh, and was on the sideline for that Munster final. Right. So you, you hammered Kerry in that in that uh, Munster final. It was two twenty three to one eleven. You you like you say you were on the sideline for that. But even before we get to the All Ireland semi final against Roscommon, which you're suspended for, you were an All Ireland winning manager. Like would you would you not have got the benefit of the doubt, or how what, what were the county board thinking? Well, um, as far as I can remember, I don't think I at the inquiry. I don't think I was even given it. A chance to tell my side of the story, uh, and the the meeting, the county board meeting at which I was suspended, was of course held in camera. But um, obviously, there would have been people in there who would have been friend, friends of mine, and uh, I got the story back. And one prominent official labelled me as a disgrace to my county, to my club, and to my family which hurt me deeply, um, um, particularly saying I was a disgrace to my family and my club. Um, so the two-month suspension came out, you know. So um, Cork County Board, um, I was sort of play everything by the books. So um, Frank Hogan took over the training of the team. Um, I wasn't allowed to go near them, really. Um, so <laughs> that's the way it was. You know? and was there uproar in Cork about it? Because it's unusual for a county board to to suspend, you know, one of their own like that. Usually, these things are kind of covered up. Even it often happens with players, you know, even like a situation you're describing. Yeah, at the time, um, I think that most potato would make any difference. Um, that you know, um. Like who's to know whether I'm still involved with the team or not? Um, obviously, on the training, there'd be supporters down watching the training. But otherwise, I've got guards going into the dressing room and behind closed doors and stuff like that. We'd be able to uh, work away. But um, as I said, county board, um, um, the county board, you know. Uh, play things by the book and that's where it was you know? Right So did you get to talk to you played Roscommon how long after that was it Billy after the Munster final probably three or four weeks and you were still suspended so how did you bridge the two or three or the three or four weeks before such a big game? Um, as I said Frank Cogan took over the training in the team and um, I used to have discussions with Frank of what we wanted done and stuff like that so I used to go down to Parky Creeve, all right, um, but I go up behind the goal. I couldn't go into the dressing room. I go up behind the goal and watch the training from there. Right. Um, and like Frank is uh, was a great coach in his own right, and I had no problem problems from that point of view. Right. Okay. So you were able to manage it. You were, at least you were able to watch them training, I suppose. We've heard stories of Jose Mourinho going into the dressing room in a in a laundry basket. You didn't try any of that. Uh, <laughs> you didn't try any of that. Carry on. No. 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 Uh, uh, I would have been. Um, well, see, as I said, with Cork County Board, they did play things by the book, and if I was caught, 
um, doing anything like that, I could get a um, an extended suspension. You know, so um, I did what I was told. Right, because it was I was I was reading. Um, it was in an article on the Echo Live, and there was an extract from your book. I think you were at training, and Jimmy Keevney is a good friend of yours, and he was down, um, watching the training because he goes down to Cork on holidays, and he couldn't believe the fact that Cork would 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 suspend their own manager. No, it wasn't training. It was um. It was an A versus B two weeks before we played Ross, Ross Common. And at the time, um, Jimmy and Peter Rooney from Down, uh, were good friends of mine, were down. We were all in holidays together down. In so the A versus B was on in Skibbereen. And uh, I went over to I was, where I was staying. It was quite close to Skibbereen. So, and Jimmy and Peter came over with me to watch the match. So uh, before the game, um, when we arrived, I went up and spoke with the selectors. And then before the match, went back to join Jimmy and Peter on the sideline, um, on the bank. And when Jimmy saw me, he said, what the hell are you doing here? I said, I'm suspended, I can't. And he laughed. He said, what? He said, I remember he said, when, when, when Hefo was suspended, not only would he go in on the sideline, but he'd sit in, sit in the dugout. <laughs> I was thinking to myself then, I said, this is a bit ridiculous. Um, you know, that it's being carried this far. So um, when the match was over, I went to to Christy Collins from Castlehaven, who was chairman selector at the time. And I said, Christy, this is ridiculous. I said, um, you know, so he agreed. And he said, look, leave me, I'll come back to you. So he came back and he said, um, like, uh, we trained on Tuesdays and Thursday nights and then on Tuesday we spring the train to Dunman we had to give to West Cockburn as a break uh, from travelling. Right. So he said, um, see, there was one particular individual who was kind of putting his banner in the works um, and would be watching carefully whether I was training or not. So in any case, Christy said to me, look, train the team on Tuesday night um, in Dunmanway, our men won't be there. And on the Thursday night, um, before the game, we usually went to Jewelry's Hotel in Cork where we had a swim sauna, team meeting and a meal together. And he said, uh, our man won't be there either. Um, so trained the team on the Tuesday night on Dunmanway. I wasn't worried about it. Uh, Thursday, we went to Jury's. Uh, we had our swim and sauna and all that. And then we went up um, to the room to have our meet- team meeting. Now, we were running a bit late. It was, there was about, um, about over a half an hour late, actually. Um, so I was just sort of starting the meeting when our men walked in. And at the stage... Um, I didn't know what to do. All the selectors went outside um, and I uh, took the meeting, continued the meeting. But the following day, I got uh, a phone call from Frank Murphy uh, that our man was threatening to report me. And he said, if so, uh, you'll get an extended suspension. So he said, I'm sorry, 
Uh, but you just have to stay away from the team for the weekend. So they throw, went up by train on Saturday afternoon. I couldn't go on the train with them. Uh, and I drove up myself. You know, we stayed in the Burlington Hotel. Um, initially, Frank said he'd put me up in a B&B close to the Burlington, but then he got a room for me well away from the, the, the wing where the players were staying. Um, and uh, um, the team meeting, I was told I could not go in there either. Um, even that would, that would be behind closed doors. Uh, and the match I watched um, from uh, the upper deck of the Hogan, the old Hogan, um, and half time came down and two of the selectors came out to the back of the stand. Uh, I couldn't go into the dressing room. They came out to the back of the stand and so just to get like, my ideas or what was going on or whatever. Yeah. And, but thankfully, we did come through against Roscommon and went down to win the other yeah, unbelievable! You won the double. I just can't get my head around that. How you, how a county would try to deprive itself in such an important game, and you know, I'm sure there was talk about the double even in at the All Ireland semi final stage. Um, the double. I said, uh, I remember like Celine the Hogan when at the hurling match. Uh, when the horrors won, a uh, supporter behind me said, just saying to me, the pressure's on you, you know. Right. Um, up to that, I don't know, was there much talk about... Oh, sure, that, sure, sure, that's right, Billy. Sure, what, didn't the hurlers beat Galloway in a, a bit of a shock result, wasn't that it? In the, that, oh, they weren't they, expected, uh, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, yeah, um, Galloway expected to win, so... Um, there wasn't that much... Uh, like, I can't remember any before the or semi-final talks of the double event like that, you know. Um, so, but that's the way it was. That's it. So, come here, if, if, if you had any advice for Desi Farrell now, he's heading into three months, what would it be? Well, Dublin is a different county um, from Dublin, or from Cork. And, um, like, I remember uh, playing Dublin in the National League uh, when I got suspended again. And um, but I remember the Dublin secretary meeting me when we went in, in uh, well um, into the pitch, and he pulled me aside and he said, "Look, wherever you want to go, no." He said, um, "I want to sit in the stand or wherever you want." And he said, "Look, I'll try where you can get into the dressing room at half time without anybody knowing." And around the back to the panel park, park. Right. So I'm sure. I'm sure Dublin, the Dublin County Board won't put too many restrictions on the far um, if they're uh, through the farm and, and you know, with HIFO being allowed, but I know those, there are times past, but, um, but then again, you never know how the Central Council will be watching things. Um, but all Dizzy can do is, um, much the same as, my, as myself, um, is... Uh, you know, whoever is going to train the team, just stay in touch with him and tell him what he wants done and stuff like that, you know. 
Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, and I suppose I, I couldn't see them blackguarding them like you were blackguarded. If I'm allowed to say it, you don't have to say it, uh, Billy. I'll say this: you were blackguarded in in 1990. Come here. You mentioned the you mentioned playing Dublin in the league, and I was just noticing um, last week it was the anniversary of Barney Rock's famous goal in the 1987 league quarter final. This is obviously famous because Barney kicked Barney scored a lot of good goals, but this was kicked into an empty net, Billy, and. Um, I don't think you were manager of the team in '87. I was coach. I, coach. I was, I was coach. Yeah. Um, again, one of the same individuals who said it was a disgrace was involved in that too. But anyway, we it was a draw. Um, normal time, and um, we had a very young team at the time, a very promising young team, and. We went into the dressing room after the game, and when I went in, the, the, the selector, as I said, there wasn't a selector. The five selectors were inside in the shore area discussing it. So um, I was called in um, to see what my opinion was. There was um, there were some of them, the selectors were against playing the extra time. Others were uh, playing it. And they asked me my opinion. Now, I my I had been coaching my school team, Kalashtig Nardrish, um, um, and we were in the All-Ireland College, the semi-final against Cameron College Moat. And we drew the first day, and the second, for the second, it was a draw again. But our captain, uh, Theo Colnan, um, was, was suspended for that game. But if we went to a replay again, he would have been he would have been okay. So we went into a dressing room. Um, at that stage, not knowing what the rules or whatever would be. So um, um, somebody then said we had to play extra time. So we went out and we played the extra time. And after the game, sometime I met a priest who was involved. With some, and he said, you did not have to play extra time. Um, oh, I said, he said, but then, so then when it came up with Cork, I was thinking the same thing. I said, getting a replay in Croke Park for this young team would bring them on a ton. Yeah. So I said, I agreed. Just, um, we wouldn't play the extra time. Um, what I didn't know at the time was that uh, it had been decreed that in the event of a draw, there would be extra time. I didn't know that. Um, so uh, anyway, <laughs> we didn't play the extra time. And uh, yeah, the ball was thrown in and went in the barn. He just tapped it into an empty net, you know. <laughs> it's a famous, uh, I've seen it on New York Square, one of those programs. I think it's, uh, what happened next? No. <laughs> well, that was it, and then yeah. and then the and then the whole story was that you you went back to the train station because you didn't want to miss your train. I don't know who came out with oh, that oh, one. Oh, somebody said, yeah, that, uh, <laughs> yeah I, I don't know who brought up, but that's, I remember that being thrown. We were, I'd say, a year or two later playing Dublin in Parrell Park, and, and uh, Dublin fans were shouting at me, uh, believing, uh, hurry up there, you might miss your train. They're me from behind. <laughs> you know? I'd say Jimmy Keaveney yeah. did some, I'd say it's some crack with Jimmy Keaveney over stories like that um, down through the years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I remember another day we played Dublin in the National League to 74. They'd beaten us in the All-Ireland semi-final 
of 74 and went on to win the All-Ireland. Um, and we played them the first game of the match in the National League with around October, November. And um, um, we won it, actually. But uh, Connie Hartnett, God rest him, who died there not too long ago, was marking Bobby Doyle. And he, he struck Bobby Doyle at one stage. And the Dublin crowd were going mad, of course. And I was very friendly with Connie. So after the match, I said, I'm meeting uh, Keevney up in Mars. Will you come up for a pint? So myself and Connie went up for a pint and met Jimmy. Big Dublin crowd in there. And Jimmy says to me, believe I you know, I get your, yourself and your man out of here because he'd be killed. So <laughs> we had to run. <laughs> yeah. well, one more. OK, one one more before I let you go, um, Billy, is I was reading that when in, in the early 80s, when Kerry used to beat Cork all the time, he obviously turned that around then towards the late 80s and he started beating them, that Mick would come in to the dressing room and he'd say that you're the second best team in Ireland. And it used to really get on Cork's nerves because Mick would be probably Plowmoss in Cork, but also making everybody know that Dublin aren't even the best, second best team in Ireland. Is that what he used to say? Yeah, I remember he'd come into the dressing room and you might be taking off your boots or whatever, and Mick would come in and say, look, lads, don't feel so bad because you're the second best team in Ireland <laughs> and it was off and I felt like firing a boot you know? <laughs> yeah. oh, um, very good one well, at least you got to turn the tables around on them then yeah yeah we did turn in because we didn't keep it going um, after that but to load them back in and you know but maybe there might be a bit of light at the end of the tunnel after beating them to show I don't know yeah you know? Maybe there is. Maybe there is. Come here, Billy. I've taken yeah. up enough of your time. Thanks very much for taking the call, and I hope you get your hope you recover fully, and you get that second vaccine, and we see you back on the sideline very soon. Okay. Thanks, Colin. Thanks very much. Great stuff from uh, Billy there, Connor. I have to laugh when I'm thinking about the incident that got Billy suspended. I think it's outrageous. Usually these things are completely brushed under the carpet by your county board. I, I know fellas who've been sent off in challenge matches, club matches, and they always get a really reduced suspension by your county board because the county are out you know like I mean so to suspend your own county manager over a bit of a, a shamozzle with an all-earned final semi-final coming up is outrageous but I thought it was funny when he was taught when the incident with Nemo in the club championship match he's trying to pull his man over to give him a little bit of a a bit of advice it was his wing forward and the wing back that was marking him. You know, as I've done it myself plenty of times, you try to piss off the lad coming in with advice and you try to, you know, you listen in and that annoys them. And then this kind of game of cat and, ma- cat and mouse where the marker's trying to listen into the advice, your man's trying to push him, push you away. I've seen it about a hundred times. I think, I, I think, well, if you watch 10 games, you'd see it in nine of them and let Hughes, <laughs> let Hughes without, without Zinn cast the first stone. So, yeah, for, for, for a band like that, especially somebody as high profile as Billy Morgan, that was, that was a brave step by, uh, by the county board. Probably stupid, stupid more, step, I would say, brave. rather than brave. Yeah, yeah, right. brave, yeah stupid rather than brave is right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, so this weekend, Connor, is the anniversary of the foreign sports ban. So it's the 50th anniversary. It was um, 1971 at the Congress that year. It was on April the 10th and the 11th. So it'll be 50 year anniversary What in a, in a few days time. Um, so famously, Congress lifted the, the infamous Rule 27 ban, which was uh, a ban on foreign games, specifically rugby, soccer, cricket and hockey, the bloody English games. Right. So like there was yeah. some asso- there was some associated provisions. These included Rule 28 
which were vigil uh, vigilance committees whose members were empowered to attend rugby, soccer and other matches to spy on who else was there. Did you ever hear the likes of this? Like, I mean, it's, it's just to read it. I feel ashamed to think that this this kind of thing went on. You weren't even allowed to go to watch a match, now, let alone play it. Um, it kind of reminded me of Mick O'Dwyer used to have a few vigilance committees doing the rounds of the pubs <laughs> in Leash when we were playing to make sure that we weren't we weren't drinking. No matter where you go, you will get reported to Mick o. He had spies everywhere. But that was it. And there was a Rule 29, Connor, forbidding clubs to host non-Irish dancing. Christ almighty, 50 years feels like a long time ago. Yeah, and do you know the worst thing about this one is like um, I'd say a lot of the members of these vigilance committees are probably you know the vast majority of them took great pleasure you know in reporting. oh yeah do you know for you know they might spot somebody watching a soccer game or as you said indulging in what non-Irish dancing activities and thinking geez I can't wait now to go to report this to the various vigilance to my vigilance committee and it just. Connor, these are these busybodies. These are the people taking pictures of the county team's training now. These are these curtain twitchers. Are these the same people? <laughs> they, they might be descendants of these people. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it sounds like a jab, but it's just, oh, I mean, like, you know, I just like to, to I know like in at the time these vigilance committees existed, so maybe it didn't seem, you know, that bad at the time. But now looking back in it, 50 years to report somebody who might have been watching a soccer match, you know, it just it just seems. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, I mean, they didn't get rule rid of Rule Twenty Six in that Congress. That was a rule. It would it would become Rule Twenty One. It was the the banning of members of the Northern Security Forces joining the GEA. There wasn't the same kind of support for that. It was thirty years later before that ban was lifted. You know, which is another kind of um, strange one. Incredibly, like lots of players were 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 banned from this. James McCartan Senior. Um, the king of down football, he was called. He was banned for a year. Um, and Tony Haddon as well from down. They won all Ireland's for down in the 60s. I think it was in the late 50s they got banned. Incredibly, Connor, my own father was banned in 1967 uh, for this. Wow. And my, my father tell you nothing. Um, I found out about this talking to Pat Critchley last week when we did the when we did the tribute show to Pat Critchley. He was he was telling me about my father getting banned, and I went went home to the father. And says, "Jeez, you never told me that. You tell me nothing." Oh, jeez, I, I don't remember. I, I, that, was <laughs> that was 1967. And I, I was half thinking of getting the father on the show, but he did not want to talk about it. And I think apparently the story goes he played soccer. Um, but he was sent off in a minor final in 67. My father was banned for four years, didn't play again in 71. Now, I can't get to the bottom of was this ban from the minor final or the for it was definitely for playing soccer. But like the likes of uh, James McCartan Sr. only got a year ban. And I says to the father, says, how did you get banned for four years? And everyone else getting banned for one. I can't remember. I said, I can't remember. And off he went. And that was, that was, yeah. I was about to ask that question, Willie. Did he, did he not play until 1971 because he was so thick? Do you know what? Yeah, it was lifted in seventy one. I don't know. It could have been thick. He wasn't in the mood to talk about it, anyways. And I wasn't. I wasn't asking any <laughs> asking any further questions. It's well, just as well I did a little bit of research and didn't ring him on the show and ask him. <laughs> <laughs> well, just just on the James McCartan thing, Willie, as well. I was seeing that, like, um, you know, and this doesn't surprise me about the attitude of people who would be in vigilance committees either. But like, I think it was a kind of a thing that they targeted. The more high profile you were, the better. Because obviously it got more coverage and kind of made more of an issue of the ban. Like I was reading about um, Con Martin. He played. Uh, he went on to play soccer for a few clubs in England, but he played for Ireland as well. But he got banned um, way back in the 50s, I think. And that was obviously a massive deal at the time, but it was seen as a, maybe a coup 
for these vigilance committees because oh we'll take these you know who do they think they are we'll take them down a peg which is an attitude I'm not surprised about at all right okay I think there's another story then that Moss Keane who obviously played rugby for Ireland he played UCC rugby as Moss Fenton and the Monday after the ban was scrapped, I think the Echo reported that Fenton was dropped for Moss Keane, the well-known GEA player. <laughs> There's a lot of A and others around that time, I'd say. Yeah, I'd say there was plenty of ways around it. Interestingly, Mick O'Connell, one of the greatest of all time, obviously on the team of the century, and uh, he's on the, the team of the millennium. I actually ring Mick for an interview for the show this week, and I got I got a very short answer. Um, in, other, in other words, no. <laughs> And uh, anyways, he's given up interviews, he told me, and that was it. It was a short enough conversation, uh, to put it mildly. He was caught up in a band controversy. He played soccer, um, loved soccer, and he was allegedly photographed at an FAI Cup match between Cork and Waterford um, one February. But O'Connor refused to discuss uh, what he did as an amateur in his spare time and was going to walk away from football. Now, you're talking about the, the greatest midfielder, arguably. We, not enough of us got to see him, but we're talking about the best um, and Mick O'Connell said, I think it was in the Irish Times, he said, no one is obliged to it. Well, he said this afterwards about his reason. He said, no one is obliged to account publicly for their actions of his private life. And that includes attendance at any public performance, whether it be dog racing or the cinema. Um, like, I mean, that's pure Mick O'Connell. And I don't know, I would just be a big fan of that kind of attitude. That, that, well, that sums it up perfectly, doesn't it? Do you know, yeah. I, like, I, I'm not really surprised. Like, Mick O'Connell gave a radio interview a couple of years ago, and like, if anyone heard it, they know that he's a fairly he's a fairly straight talker. Yeah. So, uh, maybe that surprised after that he, he kind of he said he was done with interviews. But that yeah that 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 sums it up absolutely perfectly. And you know, as well, it's it's really interesting when you kind of read back into it uh, some of the stuff about the band. Well, as well as Jack Bookman, um, you know, former president, was saying that they asked him to be on a vigilance committee, and he said that he'd agree to it only on the condition that the members of the vigilance committee were made public and he's told that wasn't possible obviously because that could you know maybe gets their identity out there but he refused to be on it as a result and i think it's not long after that then that you know the ban was eventually i think they saw sense and realized that like it the problem wasn't people breaking the ban the problem was the ban in the first place it was that ridiculous but it's just a shame it really took them so long to realize kind of um how ridiculous it was i suppose yeah i suppose if social media was around then and you and you yeah. said i think this ban on foreign sports is a joke you'd be cancelled yeah well that's <laughs> your honorable reason debate earlier William. like you know <laughs> so, social media is not the place to go for that yeah exactly right so there's been i mentioned pat critchley there there's great reaction to his interview um, his tribute show that was came out last Thursday. So in 1985, his Leash is only ever all-star in hurling. Never had another one. And Leash made the Leinster final in 85. And um, Pat got the all-star that, that year after brilliant performances against Dublin and Wexford. So he was the all-star. They were going for, going for five in a row uh, county finals, which is an incredible feat for Port Leash, considering they only won 11 in their history. And Pat... Pat's kind of crew won seven of them in 11 years. So in 1985, they were going for five in a row. And then tragedy struck in November in a National League game against Dublin. It was a week before that county final when he accidentally caught Dublin hurler Paul Mulhear with his follow through. Paul was wearing a helmet and played on, but went to hospital um, that night and tragically died later that week. Pat came on at half time the following week in that county final for Port Leash um, when they were going for five in a row and he got a huge ovation of support. Here's Pat describing what happened. It was a basketball move that I used to make. I wasn't even aware of it at the time. I remember coaching um, 
I remember there was Nolan Keane and J- Jimmy's sister was coaching her in, in the, and she would be going with her dad the bomber to all the hurling matches and it was a minor match that I played against Dublin over in um, Tullamore and when I was coaching that Tuesday I said I saw, I saw you doing the, the spin move you know and um, where, where you kind of draw in a player as if you were striking maybe right handed and then you'd use what we call a, a reverse pivot in the basketball and strike left handed you know and um, it was that kind of move but whatever way it Worked out, it, um, it connected with with Paul's helmet on on, on the swivel, you know, and uh, and I was in the the um, the PE hall down 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 in um, the convent on the Monday, in, in between class and had the radio on, and, and just this announcement came on the radio, and I just put shivers through me like that. Uh, I knew that there was a Dublin hurler I'd gone into hospital, um, and Paul. Uh, lived for a few days then, then after that and been up and but uh, the whole the whole week was kind of like a, like a blur you know and um but the Dub- the dublin players um you, you know uh, were were brilliant to me and they wanted me to to play the game uh, to get back on uh, and play like uh, we we lost john taylor as well like but uh, i did come on in the game but um we we still only lost the game by a point but um I think maybe if it hadn't come on, uh, we, we 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 maybe might have had a better chance of of, of uh, winning the game. But I remember Pat Malai was the the chairman and uh, the the meal after he said, "Look, we know we lost the county final, but it was great to have Pat back playing." You know, so um, and I suppose like over the next while, like uh, sport is kind of therapeutic, you know, uh, uh, that when 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 you're when when you cross. The, the line and you're playing like it puts uh, everything out of, out of your mind a little bit for that yeah. hour and even whether you're coaching or playing you know um, and uh, so that's probably um, how, how it happened but uh, it was it was just an awful thing to to, to deal with the, the only the only side of it was that it was purely accidental you know yeah um, um, but but I know for years after, like uh, you would feel like, especially if you if you're, uh, you know, out celebrating the county final or or out with the old band and you're enjoying yourself, there would be a feeling of guilt that you were out, you know, just fate like that you were out there and enjoying yourself and all wasn't, you know, and that that would have lingered like you know, for a long time afterwards. Right. Even even still, like I mean, even though like, it just it was a freak accident. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, yeah. It's uh, thirty six years now, like, but uh, still would would be. It I still like uh, like um, I was unfortunate to be involved in fatal car accident um, just in recent years, like just down the road from where I live, like you know, and, um, I, I would always have a just a private rit- ritual it was any time driving to to dublin but once i get to the sign for at go i bless, bless myself you know but uh and i do the same for willie here which means like uh, every single day like uh to, you you would you would do that she's terrible stuff there kind of really um from pat I, i've never heard of anything like hap- that happening before or after that um incident against against Dublin that time where Paul Mulhair um died the week after the game like i mean it's just it's it's just an incredibly shocking story i've heard of hurlers maybe losing an eye when a ball hit them but for a a, a fellow wearing a helmet for something like that to happen like i mean it it's hard to believe it 
Yeah, yeah, it really was, and it was like I, I listened back. I listened to Pat's um, Pat's interview um, last week as well. Just just a brilliant interview, but it was it was obvious the impact it had on him. Do you know, like it it took him uh, like understandably it took him a long time to 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 get over it. And I I was struck by like the way he was talking about the um, the game that he came on in when he got that ovation. He said that um, he can't even you know he, he doesn't think he even touched the ball because obviously it was it was probably hurling was the furthest thing from his mind. But it's just it's that like it, it's just it's 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 great that they are incidents like that are so rare but but a really kind of tragic story and but but pat pat i spoke pat i thought spoke very well in it as he did throughout the whole whole interview last week and well worth a listen back to to anyone who hasn't yet yeah have a listen back to it because cheddar joins the the show and they talk about their band the drowning fish which turned into the mere mortals and they played at they shared the stage with bob geldof they played at fela They've toured the they toured they toured the country in a in a in a in a little bus, so there's definitely some good stories um, from that, and there's some some nice bits on the leash hurling team of the '80s. I always thought of the leash hurling team of the '80s. Why are the why is this team so highly regarded? Why are people still talking about them? They didn't actually win anything, but like as Pat said, they beat they beat everybody back mm. in the '80s. And I suppose when you see leash hurling now, you know you understand kind of why that. Why, why that era is so fondly remembered, even though, you know, they didn't really um, win anything um, of note. Another one, uh, Connor, is Jim Gavin. So he's been talking on the JCDC podcast. You see what they did with the name there? So it's very Jonathan. Clever, very clever. <laughs> Jonathan Courtney and Dear McConnelly. So he's the JC and that's the DC. So now you know what I'm talking about. So it's no surprise Jim Gavin got on this podcast because obviously Dermot is his golden child and he would listen if he to walk over hot coals for Dermot, he probably would. Um, so I just thought it was an interesting one what Jim said. He said that he asked his players every year at the end of the season, if they had faith in him. This is a really nice thing for a manager. Like, we know he's humble and he 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 likes to talk about how humble the team is. Maybe not himself um, as much, but he doesn't like the attention on himself. We know that. But, you know, to be winning All-Irelands and still asking the players, do you have faith in me to go another year? Now, there's another way of looking at it, I suppose, and going, like, what player is going to say no, you know, in front of everyone and, and nobody else say anything? You'd be fairly out on your ear um, fairly quickly. But he said, when I started, when I had Digo or Mick Deegan and Mick Bowen um, and then Jason Sherlock coming in 2015 and Declan Darcy was with me the whole way, every year we'd stand up and say, if we're not serving your needs, fellas, just say, Jim, you've lost your touch. You've lost your energy. Get rid of me as such. Can you imagine that being being said? There's a, there's a part of me thinking that's a lovely thing to say. And then there's another part of me think, thinking, Jim, nobody's going to say anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, it's it depends on how you read it, Willie. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, like Jim, Jim Gavin wasn't saying that knowing that he was he wasn't saying that knowing that nobody would say anything. That's not the reason he said it. Do you know what I mean? That's he he was being genuine. He was being humble. He wasn't thinking, well, I can say this because nobody's going to come back to me. I know that he was saying it because it, there was there was a little bit of humility there, and like it kind of you know it kind of ties in with everything that like I'd say double. I'd say Jim Gavin's management too more rigorous like that in terms of like every year. Just saying that, like, okay, we might have won the All Ireland again, but listen, we have to kind of, you know, start from the drawing board again next year and think of it, think of it as if we're going for All Ireland for the first time. But 
I mean, I was thinking of a scenario that, that if he says that at the end of the year and somebody who's not Stephen Cluxton, Brian Fenton or Kieran Kenny stands up and says, oh, Jim, I think you've lost your touch. And then they meet for the first meeting at the start of the next year and whoever said it has mysteriously disappeared. But <laughs> <laughs> that might not be a big surprise either. Yeah, no, well, that's it. The, 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 like Johnny Cooper or somebody might say, uh, yeah, Jim, look, I think you have lost your energy and Dublin released a statement. Johnny Cooper has stepped away from the Dublin <laughs> panel to concentrate on his career. <laughs> on his career. As part yeah, of no, mutual agreement, they would say. <laughs> <laughs> Both parties came to an understanding and it's best for Johnny and the Dublin squad if he steps away now. Uh, yeah, so he was also given out about some of the rules that have been introduced. And I hear this a lot. Like he's against all sorts of marks. He's against the midfield mark. He, Jim Gavin thinks that if the if the referees apply the rules properly, a midfielder should get a free when he's surrounded by players anyway. So you don't need the mark. Now I wouldn't agree on that. Like the mark really frees things up. But I do take his point. He he complains about the he says if we introduce a tackle as in rugby tackling the ball carrier, what difference is there from Aussie rules? Because you can mark, you can call a mark from a kick out. You can call a mark both offensively and defensively once it's kicked into the scoring zone in an attacking play. I do take his point um, with that. Like, I mean, nobody's a fan of this advanced mark really now, and I don't know why it's not scrapped. Good to see Jim coming out and, you know, giving his take on it. I would be, I would disagree with him with the midfield mark. I think that frees up the game a lot, but definitely, like, you know, is there any difference in Aussie rules when we have so many marks involved in it? Yeah, no, no I, I'd be with you, Wooly, uh, as in, like, I think the midfield work, mark works absolutely fine. I think there's been, been very little kind of issues with that. I hate the forward mark as a rule. I didn't realise kind of before it was introduced, so I was kind of willing to kind of let, let it see how it will work. It's terrible. It rewards forwards for catching the ball from a 20-yard kick under no pressure whatsoever, defeating the original purpose of it, which you would have championed a lot with the woolly mark, let's say. But, they, like, I get what he says about the tackle as well. Like, Kieran McGinney used to be a big, 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 big on yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, he constantly goes on about it, yeah. The definition of the tackle, yeah, but, like, it's, unless you were to introduce something like Aussie Rules, it's very hard to kind of get a proper definition of the tackle as it currently stands, because... The only physical contact that's meant to be allowed is a shoulder. But we all know that there's far more physical contact and it's up really to the kind of um, up really to individual referees and how they implement the ruling of the tackle. So like, I get his frustration with that. But like, you know, to resolve it, you'd probably have to, you know, overhaul the definition of the tackle completely. And that that comes with its own issues as well, you know. Yeah, no, I think you're right. You think you're right. But I suppose good to hear from Jim Gavin. I must listen. I must give that one a listen. Um, I only saw the story actually before we, we started recording here and see what JCDC um, are doing. Um, Give it a for the title alone, William. <laughs> so last story of the day, Connor, is Joan Henshey. Now, you might not know, know Joan Henshey if she wasn't under running order I sent you this morning. Because um, <laughs> I didn't know who Joan Henshey was before before yesterday. She's the new uh, New York uh, chairwoman, chairman, chairperson, whichever way you think is the most uh, politically correct way of saying it. Um, she's complaining about the New York fundraisers. So as we know, the GPA have struck gold out there, did loads of big meals downtown, raised half a million, raised all sorts of uh, money. The players love this because maybe six lucky ones are picked for an all expenses paid trip to New York. They might even bring the missus with them. And the GPA is able to look after these lads through the connections, sell loads of tickets and still come out with a load of money. Mayo have gotten on board. Kerry have gotten on board. Who hasn't gotten on board at this stage to to shake the millionaire 
mm. expat Irish over there. And listen, I've shook a few of them just from playing football over there. So I can only imagine what these are, are shaking them down um, for a few quid. So like, I mean, she says she, she's very she's on a podcast as well. The Long Haul podcast. Um, she's I'm promoting way too many podcasts here. Uh, <laughs> she's, she says, no, it's over. It's done. We're tired. New York is first and we have to look after ourselves. She sounds a little bit like Donald Trump with that, doesn't she? And then, <laughs> and then she says, and if they're coming out here and they want to do fundraise, they should enter into negotiations with us. And a percentage of that funding should be given back to our board um, uh, to put where we feel it's needed to go. There's no recognition of our board. There's no recognition of us included. The GPA included. And it's OK to take money out of here and offer you crumbs. Oh, we'll send you a few all-star players and they'll spend an hour coaching your kids. And that's OK. We're just going to take 500 grand out of a function downtown. So she says, I don't know if you can impose a rule on monetary level, but it's more about respect. She, she doesn't mince her words, Connor. No, no, she absolutely like I think in fairness, I think this was done in the context of um of COVID, obviously, and, and kind of how everywhere has been impacted by COVID. And she was maybe suggesting that if any team were to come out, you know, in the immediate aftermath, you know, in the immediate aftermath that, you know, it'd be a bit bit cheeky of them. But um yeah, she I mean I mean she's not mincing her words, Woolly. I mean, like it's I find it hard to argue with her to a certain degree that if if you know all these counties are making money um, off these fundraisers and kind of, you you know, leaning into the New York GA community, and then the New York GA community are being left shortchanged as a result. Considering that the amount of money that these things raised, you know, I I yeah. I, I definitely kind of can can see where she's coming from. I I can see where she's coming from, but I also give you another uh, counter uh, argument to this. So, um, no, it's over, it's done, we're tired. New York first, right? And then she says, anyone who would try and come and raise money in New York right now, I would say shame on you. But my answer to Joan Henshaw would be, what has New York done downtown to raise half a million? Are they really taking money off New York if New York isn't doing this? So if New York County Board are outside Gaelic Park shaking a bucket, right? And the yeah. GPA and the GPA or Carrier Mayo go downtown, organise a lavish dinner with, you know, with uh, high profile ex-players and sell those tables at huge prices. And they're only huge prices to me or you. They're not huge prices to the people who are buying those tables, who are very, very wealthy Irish ex, you know, Irish men in New York. Are, is the money being taken off New York? I've never seen anything. Now, maybe they are trying New York to get into that market, but I maybe I'm mistaken. I haven't seen them ever doing anything. So are, are the Irish going over there taking their money when they're not doing anything to, to take advantage of? what New York, they would have so many connections through their clubs with all the high-profile um, Irish players that the, most of the high-profile Irish players would have played at some part over in America, they have plenty of connections. Bring over 10 of them. Make sure you bring three dubs. Ask them to bring the Sam Maguire. Put on a big function downtown. Yeah. You do it, New York. And if New York started doing that, then, Connor, I yeah. would kind of look and say, yeah, well, that's kind of their market. And now we're moving in on them. But I think it's a little bit rich of Joan Henshi to be saying, I think what she's asking for is extortion because she's demanding a slice of something that it's nothing got to do with her. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I thought the line that anyone who would try and come in and raise money in New York right now, I would say shame on you, was very, was very strong and and and, and probably a little bit harsh because the, the the truth of it is, is that like 
you know, a, a Kerry, Kerry don't need a connection with New York GA to go over to New York and make loads of money because no. they can just tap into the, you know, the Kerry expats who are, as you said, have lots of money and are only happy to be associated with Kerry GA independently of New York GA, and, you know, and, and give their and give their money to the cause. But I suppose there's probably it's a little give and take, Willie. I would I would imagine that, like, you know, I I, I assume that. Without knowing the the exact detail of these, I, I would assume that they're they do lean into the New York GA community. They do coach the kids and stuff like that. So maybe that there's a little more give and take. That they could be a little bit better with giving a little bit more back to New York. But I but I do take your point that like you know that's it's a bit rich of them to be saying that when they're not you know pushing the boat out to be doing this sort of stuff themselves. Yeah. No, I think that's it. So it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. I think my advice to John Henshey: organize one of those big day big dues and make your money. And then you can start saying to the other counties, you're coming out here. This is our market. You know, stay stay away from our market. Don't start telling them to stay away from a market you haven't tapped into. And, you know, I don't think that's right um, either. And a little bit annoyed about her comments because I was half planning one as a fundraiser for Leash GA. I was going to bring all the sorts over. Like, this, this is serious money in a night's uh, work you know, Connor, you can do all the online bingos. You can shake your buckets, stopping cars at a roundabout in Port Leash. Like this is incredible, incredible money. I don't see how counties or the GPA or any of them are going to stop just because John Henshey says so. No, no, maybe not. Yeah, and it's become even. Listen, it's become even more prevalent now, Willie. I mean, you know, for for counties to to need, they need to raise this money. You know, like especially what's given on, what's going on in the last year. So yeah, but that's yeah. As I said, a, a little more give and take, perhaps. You know that the New York are more involved and perhaps get a little more slice of the pie out out of if, if these counties are going to leverage their connection with the New York GA community to, to get their money abroad. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, listen, that's it. Um, enough given out for one day, I suppose. There's a lot <laughs> of things to <laughs> a lot of things to give out about today. Or maybe that's just my humour these days, Connor. It's just giving out about everything. Although I have I've calmed down. Camp, I can see light at the end of the tunnel. So, like, I mean, I suppose that's uh, that's the most important thing. We'll light be there soon. Summer, all kumbaya, Willie. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> right, we'll be back next Thursday and we'll talk to everybody then. Good luck. Well, when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So, it opened up. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are. And uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the brakes when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Waterford today because, like, I'm hard, I'm heartbroken.